What is up, futurists? Michael Sakand here with another episode of the Our Future podcast, where you will hear from the visionary business leaders shaping our future. My next guest is Steve Miller, CFO of Warby Parker, the eyewear company that changed the game and practically invented the term direct to consumer. Steve was one of the first hires at Warby Parker back in 2011. He was waiting in the company's New York City showroom. And before his interview, he was almost immediately transfixed as he watched this magical experience the customer has when they walk into a Warby Parker store. As the company has grown into a beloved, influential, pioneering, and even profitable brand, Steve has been behind the scenes, leading the company's financial planning and analysis, accounting, and loss prevention and facilities teams. This one was the best one yet. Hope you guys enjoy. I want to wind things back to when you were 20 years old. When you were sitting in my seat, did you envision yourself as being the chief financial officer of of a really innovative company? Is that something you saw for yourself? When I was 20 years old, um, so that was uh, just after my sophomore year in college, I took a year off to work in South Africa during the lead up to the Nelson Mandela elections. And so the country itself was going from um, a for all intents and purposes, uh, a dictatorship uh, based on racial injustice to a much more open and democratic society. And one of the highlights of sort of my college years, so to speak, was actually getting to vote for Nelson Mandela for the country's first uh, democratically elected president. And so at that time in my life, I was very much focused on uh, a career in economic development in the third world or in the developing world, potentially somewhere back in Southern Africa. And so I was not saying to myself at age 20, I plan on being the CFO of a direct-to-consumer eyewear brand. <laughs> and speaking of that direct-to-consumer eyewear brand, I mean, nobody had done this before. There were very few companies, <laughs> if any, that resembled what Warby Parker, you know, the the business was, like the the pitch in 2011, you joined the company in those early days. What did the founders, you know, Neil and Dave, and I think there were two more who now serve on the board, but what did they say to you to make you want to join a, a direct-to-consumer eyewear company? I think the biggest selling point to me uh, in the interview process was when I was waiting to interview with my now boss, uh, Dave Gilboa, I waited in the company's showroom. And we've always had a store in our corporate offices, and it gave me a chance to see firsthand the amazing customer experience that people had when they tried on the glasses and they asked about price. And there was this like uh, aha moment of like, wait, it's $95. Is that just the frames? No, it's the frames and the lenses. Okay, what about all the coatings? No, it's the frames, the lenses, the coatings, free home delivery. And the experience was just a, a much more pleasant shopping experience than the typical eyewear shop that you went into, where all the glasses were locked behind the glass case, like you're walking into Tiffany's, uh, buying jewelry instead of glasses. And as a glasses wearer, um, that experience also resonated with me. And so that's really what I think fundamentally, um, without doing all of the analytics and understanding competitive dynamics and building a spreadsheet, made me say, you know what? I can feel that there's something great happening here and I'd love to be a part of it if uh, I can somehow convince the founders to give me a shot. And once you did get into the company, becoming CFO, and you were looking at those spreadsheets, what were the 
initial challenges that you saw as this company would grow, you know, into the future? What was what were those like first hurdles that were very apparent at the start of your job? When you join a startup company, uh, particularly in the really early stages, there are a few things that you have to do. One is you have to build a team uh, and at the same time, do your job and operate. And so one of my biggest challenges um, was actually building a team. I was uh, finance and accounting employee number one, and the company was already growing pretty quickly and already outgrowing the space that we were in. We moved offices a number of times. And so um, challenge number one for me is, is was building a team, it still is kind of building a team as we scale and retaining a team and uh, making sure that um, people are engaged and growing. But back in the early days, uh, it's really fundamental when you have to close the books and report numbers to your board and uh, there's nobody to do it but you. And so um, that was uh, focus number one uh, in many ways, really building a team and mapping out what that team would, um, would look like over time. Uh, so my team today, it encompasses um, financial planning and analysis. We do a lot of the planning and budgeting for the company. I have an accounting team, which is responsible for all the core things that an accounting team does, um, putting together our financials and paying our bills and dealing with our auditors, and then a loss prevention and facilities team. So across those uh, three organizations, there are approximately 32 people, including me. And when I joined the company almost nine years ago, there was, there was no one. A startup in its early stages, nothing is straightforward. As you said, you had to scramble to put this team together and understand kind of the business. But, you know, as CFO, you're almost inextricably linked to the financials, to the bottom line, just by nature of your position. Mm. How do you manage and balance your attention between exciting growth opportunities, new avenues for the business, but also protecting those numbers, right? Like paying attention to what investors are going to want to see when you're in these early stages of a startup that clearly has legs and is clearly going to grow. And that's one of the biggest questions that startup companies have to contend with in general. It's sort of balancing in some ways two opposing needs. One is growth and the other is profitability. Uh, and so the way that we've thought about it is really through the lens of consistent growth. Uh, and when we weren't making money, we talked about a path to profitability. So it's fine to be losing money as long as you have a path to at some point making money. That's the whole purpose of venture capital. You invest in a company and if that company is going to survive as a standalone entity and not get acquired, uh, but operate and um, become profitable, potentially become a publicly traded company. You have to have that path to profitability. When I think about making investments on behalf of the company, and when I think about growth versus profitability, think about uh, a longer term time horizon. Um, I, I have the luxury in many ways of not being a public company and thinking mm -hmm. about this quarter or next quarter, but, but the horizon is a little bit farther out um, where you're able to think about what is the right decision to make now for what you want the result to be three to five years from now. Uh, in many ways, the types of decisions that you make when you're deciding where do you want to go to college or what do you want your first job to be, you're not necessarily optimizing for the next three months. You're optimizing for like the next four years in the context of a college. And when you take your first job, it's how is that job going to position me to get to be 
where I want to be five, 10, 15 years from now. And so uh, in some ways it's not a dissimilar decision-making process, but uh, boiling it down to those sort of competing mandates, growth versus profitability is, um, is definitely a nuanced challenge to think through and certainly part of my role. When you look at, at the business, right, as CFO, you guys have this amazing experiential retail concept that you know is, has, has really won big. And as you said, you were sitting in the waiting room, you saw this connection between customer yeah. you know, and, and business. But is there a temptation, right, on your end to be like, wow, these stores actually have, you know, they, they create quite a burden on the bottom line, right? Any, any business that maintains a portfolio of retail brick and mortar stores has, has that kind of weight on the company. Yeah. Is, is there a temptation to view that in, in that way? Or is it these stores are really, really core to our business? What we want to do is create the best customer experience possible. And if that means creating a physical space, a physical environment where people can come in and try on a product and interact with that product, because that is how the customer wants to try and buy the product, that's what we're going to lead with. So it's more what is going to please and delight and meet all of the customer's needs, as opposed to what is going to be best for the company from a financial perspective. But if you orient your company where the customer comes first, financial success will follow in spades because it's a much better long-term strategy to focus on delighting the customer than what is going to benefit the company's bottom line from a uh, financial perspective in the short term. So I think by actually focusing on the customer, you end up with a more sustainable, more profitable business. And that's really why we decided to, to get into retail. When we opened up our first flagship store, we experimented with um, retail for a, a while before we opened up our first store in April 2013 on Green Street in Soho. And we were blown away. The first you know, month opening every weekend, there were lines 20 people deep waiting to get into an optical store. And so that's what told yeah. me as a finance person, like, I don't need a spreadsheet to figure out, like, is retail going to be big for us? So I was like, I can see those lines around the corner. Um, let me take my cue from that and we'll figure out how to get the finances right to make this sustainable and profitable. You guys actually created your own point of sale system. And then on the customer side, even at home, they can e even visualize the lenses on their face, really playing into the AR, VR trend, doing these incredible things with tech and in retail and in DTC. So what is the what is the importance of tech at Warby Parker as a core part of the business? We've developed a lot of technology, both in store and online, to support the customer experience and the purchasing process. A lot of which you referenced in terms of a point of sale solution in the store. We tested third party point of sale solutions and determined that none of them would give us the flexibility that we needed to optimize the customer experience. So we built our own. Um, in many ways, we've developed uh, our own ERP system to manage inventory flow across the organization. We've, as you mentioned, we've developed an app and a virtual try-on tool within that app that will let you visualize glasses on your face. So um, we've tech enabled many different aspects of the company and we will continue 
to do that as we scale. So technology and a, and a core tech backbone is very, uh, very fundamental to the company and its growth. Yeah, let's talk about another core part of the business, which is direct to consumer, right? And when, when we think yeah. of DTC, like mm -hmm. I think, I think Warby Parker's not, it's got to be number one or in the t top three of companies that we think of when we hear that word. And it's such a buzzword now. Yeah. And Warby Parker pioneered it and took ownership of it. You know, we've seen mattresses and razors and clothing go the same route. And it's been really yeah. successful for a ton of other companies. What is the beauty in the direct-to-consumer model from your perspective? So one of the great things about a direct-to-consumer model is there's nobody sitting between you as the product manufacturer and the customer as the end consumer. You're controlling everything end to end. So you can actually give the customer exactly what they're looking for and also hear what they are looking for without any filters in between. So that is kind of number one. You can really optimize the customer experience and customer engagement in particular. Uh, two, and have to mention this because I am a financial person and so numbers do matter. When you're building a direct to consumer model, um, you don't have to worry about a wholesale to retail markup because you are the manufacturer. So you end up with a stronger gross margin. If you look at a lot of pure play retailers or pure, or pure play product companies, they end up with a lower gross margin because there's this wholesale to retail markup and we don't have to necessarily play in that space. Um, so our financial profile and our profit uh, profitability profile ends up being stronger from that perspective, but it also enables us to offer products at a dramatically lower price than the traditional eyewear players in the market who are built around the wholesale to retail dynamic. And in addition, have to license other people's brands uh, in um, certain types of the product categories that they sell to sell their products to the consumer. Us, it's our own brand, Warby Parker, and we sell it directly to you either through one of our stores that we operate or through our website that we operate. What yeah. is your career advice for someone who's 20, someone who's 21, 22, just graduating college in this, this crazy era? What is, your, yeah. what is your piece of advice for them as they go about the world? I would say um, find a few problems or maybe those problems will find you that capture your imagination and intellect that you really want to figure out how to solve. And if there is a problem or set of problems out there that needs solving, I'm convinced that you can figure out how to build a career in a way that helps you solve those problems. Um, so I would think through your career um, in that type of a lens, how can you become a problem solver and how can you build the resources needed to build a company, become a part of a company, um, become a medical practitioner, work in a nonprofit area uh, in a way that you feel really committed to and attached to what the organization you're working for or helping build or starting is actually doing. I would also say um, focus heavily on who you'll be working with and for because their values in some ways will become your values and your values uh, and the organization's values um, should hopefully line up for you to feel 
um, fulfilled and happy and engaged in your organization. So that would be my other kind of core piece of advice. Um, and thirdly, choose skill building, choose challenge over choosing something that might seem like an easier path or a more lucrative path day one, because it's really those skills that you build um, and the learnings that you gain that will hold you in good stead uh, as a professional, but just as a thoughtful human being. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Steve Miller, CFO of Warby Parker, bringing us inside one of the coolest companies of this generation. It was amazing to pod with you guys today. Make sure to subscribe to Our Future and make sure to stay frosty. Have a great rest of your week, you guys. Be with you again on Friday.